Hello, welcome to Recommendations for My Otaku Spouse or Otaku Susume. I'm Jen. And I'm Wes. So let's get started. Hey, today we're talking about Shijin So no Satsujin. That sounds ominous. It is. Dun dun dun. So, okay, let's back up a couple of weeks. Um, I dragged Wes to the cinema because I was like, I want to go see this movie adaptation of a book that I read at the end of last year, and I'm going to take you with me, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. Yes, I vaguely remember this happening, but that was pre-Christmas. That was pre-Christmas. And then we went away for Christmas, and then we came back, and the movie was still in the cinema, so we got to see it. Yay! It's actually pretty interesting over here because you get the big Western names, and they're flash in the pans where they show up and disappear. And if you don't see them in the first opening weekend, you probably won't get a chance. And then these Japanese movies stick around forever. Well, the good Japanese movies, the bad ones, die after a week. That's true. They are really, really quick to cut things. Yeah, which I was kind of surprised about. But, you know, it makes sense because people actually go to the cinema here. But they didn't cut this one. So is that a spoiler for our review? Maybe. Dun, I don't dun, dun. know. So basically, this... Um, movie, I don't know if it will make it out into the West. I really hope it does at some point. If you can go see it, I don't know if it does make it to the West. I don't know what the English title would be, but the English title of the book is Murders at the House of Death. Yeah, that works pretty well for me. So, Shijin So no Satsujin, which I think probably I would translate to Murders at the House of Corpses rather than Death, but that's nitpicking, really. That sounds more like a Rob Zombie song. Yes. My man. Slow down. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, we're not in a simulation, Wes. We could be. We could be, but we're not. Okay, fair enough. So. Back to the movie. Back to the movie. So this is a, as a quick summary, a murder mystery. Now, when I started reading this book, I went, I turned to Wes and I said, oh, I thought this was a murder mystery. Turns out it's about zombies. Yes, you did. So I thought it was about zombies. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, it's actually about a murder mystery. So then I thought it was about a murder mystery. I was like, oh, no, wait, it's a murder mystery with zombies. So then I thought it was about a murder mystery with zombies. And then you completely forgot that I'd said any of that when we went to go see the movie. Yeah, vague recollection, but I mean, the trailer we saw gave away more than that. <laughs> oh, that's true. So the story is basically a group of university students go to a house in the countryside, a zombie apocalypse, well, not a zombie apocalypse. The end, the world doesn't end. An outbreak happens. They get attacked and their class members mysteriously start getting killed off by maybe zombies, maybe humans. We don't know. Luckily, we have our investigators there. We've got a Japanese version of Sherlock Holmes and we've got his rival. Oh, and his Watson. Oh, and his Watson, yes, of course. The main character is the Watson. The main character is the you Watson. You can't have a Sherlock Holmes without a Watson. It's adorable. Indeed. Um, so the movie that we went to see is the adaptation for this like best-selling novel. Yeah, and uh, I have not read the novel, so I'm going to be coming at this entirely from the view of the movie. And speaking of which, you kind of glossed over one of the best characters. Watson? The house. The house? Is the a house character? Was, the house was super cool in the movie. Oh, in the movie, They've the got house this, was super like, cool. Western Japanese mansion, and the inside is done up to just... It's super elaborate, and it's got statues and weaponry on all the walls, and it's what the Japanese would think 
that a fancy European house would look like. So it's it's just it looks like someone went and got a bunch of pictures of European interiors and said, "Yeah, we'll do all of that in one house." Yep, sounds about right. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's historically accurate in my books. Totally. But the, I, I really liked how they did the house in the movie. So I guess we should start with what were your first impressions? Well, my first impression was a trailer that we saw. And I knew that we were going to be going to see this because it was about the book that you really liked. So I tried to mostly ignore the trailer because if anyone here has ever watched a Japanese trailer, they tell you a basic outline of the entire plot in them. Any trailer for any movie doesn't really matter. It's really annoying. Domestic, foreign, animated, live action, kids, adults, they're going to give you a rundown of the entire plot in the trailer. So if you think you want to see a movie, try not to watch a Japanese trailer. So I mostly ignored it. But then I had to deal with Hugh afterwards being like, well, this looked different and this looked different. I was like, we're going to go see it anyway. No, I didn't say anything about how it looked different from the book beforehand. You did. Did Did I? Yes, you did. Did I? Oh, like your first comment when the trailer was done was, they said Shijinso. No one ever calls it the corpse house in the book. I mean, they don't. Or house of death or whatever. Um, (laughs) But no, so. Okay, maybe I was a little critical even before we went in. (laughs) But as someone who had not read the book, uh, the trailer looked from the part that I saw before I looked away, looked interesting. And my initial impression was, I mean, as I said, it stayed around in Japanese cinemas for at least a month. So it's going to be pretty good or at least popular. And walking out of the theater, I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. I thought the story was really well done. I thought it was really concise. Um, you told me that they had to cut a bit. But as someone who didn't read the book and just watched it, I didn't feel that. For the parts they cut, they clearly did a good job at rewriting the story around that to still make sure it was a nice, concise story. Oh, they did, definitely. Um, the characters were fun. The murder mystery was a little bit flimsy, perhaps, but it didn't detract from the movie. The murder, the murders happen pretty much the same way they happen in the book. But in the movie, it's not much of a whodunit. No. It's pretty good. If you're paying attention, you'll figure out whodunit pretty quick. Yeah, I guess because you have a lot of visual stuff but it's, happening. But it's okay for that because the movie's... You don't. It's not. It's not like Murder on the Orient Express, where the whole thing is focused around this big Hugh Dunnett. Your main characters are detectives, but that's not. It, that didn't seem to me to be the big drive of the movie. So I thought it worked out pretty well. It's just funny you should say Who Done It because one of the big things in the book is that they're trying to work out, and they literally say this in Japanese: Who Done It? To, how Done It? To, why Done It? To. Yeah. <laughs> so who did it? Why did they do it? And how did they do it? But the way they say it is really cute. Yeah. I mean, whodunit is essentially the genre name for that type of thing now. So it makes sense to me completely that Japan would just take that and be like, well, this is one of our English words now that you have to know because we're going to spell it in katakana. Good luck. Yay. Japanese. It's so easy to learn. You just add a racist accent to everything. Hi. Yes. Ah, chocolate banana crepe. American joke. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> and now that we've lost all of our listeners. Uh, no, so from the point of view of someone who had not read the book, I thought the movie was really, really well done. But you had read the book. I had read the book. And it was different from the book. Or just... Um, badly? No, I don't think it was done badly. I can see why they did certain things. So, like, they had a couple of... um 
like there's one character. So the idea is that these students go to this house. Um, in the book, it was with the drama club. In the film, it was with the rock club. Wait, rock band club or rock concert club? I think it was the rock concert club because then they go to the rock concert that has the zombie outbreak. Yeah, there's a rock festival going on. Whereas the rock festival in the book is separate from what they're doing as a drama club. So I can see why they merge those two together just for consistency, like to kind of get the ball rolling a lot faster. Yeah. And then um, sort of they have three like senpai who have already graduated from university in the book, but in the movie there was only two. And in the movie they run into a couple of strangers, whereas in the books those quote-unquote strangers were already kind of part of the club. And one of them was already a graduate member. I, I think that's one thing that worked well in the book is that one of the graduates goes missing at the beginning um, when the zombie out- outbreak happens. Dun, dun, dun. And in the movie, they made him a stranger that joins them in the house. So when you're reading the book, you think maybe he's the murderer. And then you turned out he was a zombie all along. Whereas in the movie they turned him into a zombie right away so you see it so there's not that mystery that he could possibly be the one that did it yeah they did kind of mix it with the girlfriend character who goes missing but she's actually in the house but she's a zombie oh yeah no she's uh she's in the yeah but But i I think having two people do that would have confused things it wouldn't confuse things it would have just been you have two people essentially doing the same thing so what's Mm -hmm. the point this way you get the bandmate or the club member who's secretly a zombie and then you also get the uh outsider who nobody you know what what's their deal we have a few people um in the book who go missing or get killed off really early on that you see like in the movie actually they showed that one of the club members gets bitten and she turns into a zombie and the other ones find her and they have to kill her yeah Oh, speaking of killing, they did a really interesting thing in the movie that I'd never seen before and can really understand why a Japanese movie would have done that. I'd seen it in video games, but never in a movie. Well, I've seen it in one video game. I've seen it in a couple. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it's in Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Choose your... Anyway. um... So what they do is when they kill somebody, they basically have like an x-ray of their skeleton and you see the weapon going in and making horrible crunchy noises which i think was probably worse than seeing blood Mm. but it's a zombie film so you have to crush the brain essentially and so these there's always a headshot of some sort like i could feel you twitching every single time that happened next to me i think i mean well the worst bit was like the first kill you were talking about they do with a shovel to the head and that's that's kind of gross yeah but I can see why they... It's not as nearly as graphic as the recent Mortal Kombat's. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that I can see why they decided to go for an X-ray rather than a actually kind of American SFX type going to make people's heads explode. There's actually probably two things. As you, If you've ever listened to Real Japan's podcast, you'll know Japanese film productions and don't always have the best like special effects. Yes. Actually, they probably have some of the worst special effects. Especially for anime adaptations. Yes. Which Real Japan focuses on. Yes. So the fact that, you know, they probably didn't really want to do the whole lots of blood and just really trying to work around that. They just went for, okay, we'll just computer generate all of these kills. Yeah, I thought it actually worked really well. There's the first time it happens, you're like, well, that's weird. And then... 
the second time it happens, you kind of get, oh, that's the theme they're going for. Because the first time they could just be showing, oh, it's specifically destroying the brain. And then they start showing it for each one. And you're like, oh, that's what they're doing in this film. And I thought that worked pretty well. It also makes it more ages accessible in Japan because they don't like... I'm always confused. They don't like really gory stuff, but at the same time, they don't like overly sexual stuff. But no, sometimes Japan, they Japan's allow fine, it, sometimes Japan's they Japan's fine don't. with sex. They just don't like violence. And America's fine with violence. They just don't like sex. Yeah, that's it. And then Australia doesn't like either. <laughs> Down Australians. At least, again, coming from the video game world. Yeah, well, this is movies. Actually, that's a good point, because um, from talking to friends of mine who are ex-teachers or current teachers, Japanese kids tend to watch a lot of violent, graphic American TV shows and movies, and it's not a big deal. Apparently, a lot of, um, not even middle schoolers, but elementary schoolers will watch... um, Walking Dead. Uh, Walking Dead, thank you. Or zombies. Yeah, or zombies. And they have a lot of swear words and really graphic violence and other horrible things. And apparently that's okay in Japan, whereas in the West, there's no way if we had kids, I'd let them watch Walking Dead. You're saying it's okay in Japan, but you're also implying the parents know about it. Mm, That's a good point. Well, you would have thought that parents would be watching these with the kids not with the way that streaming services are nowadays Um, and the fact that every kid in the world has a smartphone that is an excellent point i didn't think of that That, that's my assumption at least you learn something new every day but back to the movie we saw the movie we saw (laughs) my next question is what did you think of the characters and by extension the acting i thought it was actually really well done there's um being here in japan we see a lot of japanese television and a lot of the TV dramas are somewhat poorly acted and somewhat poorly filmed. And this, and sometimes that carries over into films, unfortunately. And this one, thankfully, wasn't. I thought the actors did a good job with portraying the characters as they were supposed to portray them. So, for instance, both Sherlock and the rival detective, who I don't think they gave us cute nickname. Um, Her name's Kenzaki Hiroko. Yes, but they... Hiroko. They don't. Okay, they keep calling her Meitante, which is famous detective. Famous detective, but they don't really have a name for her, like Sherlock. Um, but so you've got them both playing very quirky characters, and they played the quirk well, I think, without taking it too far. Because um, there is definitely a habit I found with some Japanese actors and actresses to overact things like that. And I don't feel that they did that in this. I thought that the um, annoying upperclassmen did annoying upperclassmen, especially the fact they were supposed to be really spoiled, and they definitely were. I thought that worked out pretty well. Um, you know, it's it's pretty obvious which characters you're supposed to like and which ones you aren't, and they don't really push that too much. But, I, no, I, I really like the acting and the characters, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, not just the quirky characters, but the fact that the other characters who are supposed to be normal people, felt like real people. Yeah. I think one of the problems, like you were saying, with the dramas and the bad acting and that is everybody seems to be trying to do a quirk, and that doesn't always work. Whereas the fact that you had kind of two main characters who are quirky, and then you have your actual main ta- like protagonist, main antagonist, that's a word now, main antagonist, who um, is your Watson, um, Hamura, and he 
he just feels like a regular person and he kind of just takes the quirkiness of his friends in his stride. Yeah, he's kind of starts off being swept along by Sherlock, but he's still his own person. He kind of comes into his own throughout the movie uh, without becoming Superboy, Shonen Hero, or anything like that, which worked well. There was one main character who I was kind of surprised to see because so the movie starts off and as they introduce their, your different main characters you get these freeze frames where it shows the name of the character oh, on the screen yes. and so you're going through that and you've got sherlock and watson and Maytante and the different senpai and all these different people that they're running into and then as they're going out on the bus to the summer camp to go check out uh or summer get together to go check out the rock festival they pass a guy running down the road, and he stops, and he turns around and pulls off his hood or whatever, and it does a freeze frame and gives him his name. And it's a famous professional wrestler from New Japan Wrestling from the 90s. And I'm going like, wait, wait, what's he doing here? What's all this about? And then he kind of doesn't show up again for most of the movie. Yeah, I don't know why he was there. I don't think that character was in the book. I need to rewatch the movie because I didn't catch what his name was supposed to be. Yuji Nagata. Oh, I don't know his character name, but his I know his actual name. Well, the fact that he was actually wearing like a New Japan tracksuit and all of that, he could just be Yuji Nagata. I have no idea, but I think that could just be him. But it was weird because he, he gets a name. Yeah. And then everybody, the outbreak happens and everyone gets swept up and you have the murders and you're like, I, I completely forgot about him as a character. And Until then, all of a sudden the door gets busted down and he's standing at the front of a horde of zombies as a zombie himself raiding into the mansion. Yeah, and he doesn't even go, ooh, like all the other zombies. He says something else, which I'm wondering is maybe something to do when he was wrestling. Like, I, I can't remember what he was, said. But it really stood out. Yeah. It was, so that, that was an interesting character. It made me laugh to see him, so I was fine with that. I mean, I had a feeling he might be a wrestler because A, his physique as this big muscle muscular guy and then also the fact that you were giggling nice to me <laughs> well it's not every day you see an old 90s wrestler show up in a zombie movie uh, uh, you're about to say <laughs> I, I actually i should take that back they probably do show up more than i think <laughs> do we have to go watch a whole bunch of japanese zombie movies now i'm thinking even in western movies really uh pro wrestlers seem to show up in weird places Mm, that is true. Kevin Nash was a bodyguard in the first John Wick movie. Who? Uh, Chris Jericho was a Klansman in the most recent Kevin Smith movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. Pro wrestlers show up in weird places. <laughs> but one showed up in this movie and got a full title card intro, probably because I guess he is a pretty big name in wrestling, or was. And then you didn't really see him again for most of the movie. <laughs> so I wonder if that's how they how this movie actually became like probably a little more successful than they were expecting because not only did they bring in the people from the books, they brought um, in fans of perfume because perfume did the ending song, which was really good because yeah, it's, it's perfume. perfume. Of course it's good. <laughs> and then they also brought in a wrestler and I wonder what other weird things. Actually, I was talking to some friends shortly after we went to this, to see this movie and they're like, oh, what have you been up to lately? And I said, oh, I just actually went to the cinema to see this movie. And like, I've never heard of it before. But when they saw the actors, they were like, oh, this guy that plays um, Sherlock, Akechi-san, 
is apparently famous and actually hooks them to want to go see the movie because apparently Japanese people are more interested in actors than they are about stories, which would make a lot of sense. I've gone to see movies because of actors before. There's been movies that I've been on the fence for and then I'll be like, oh, but he's in it and I really like him as an actor. So I'd talk myself into going to see movies because of that. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to bet the band... Because there's one performance that kind of linger on a little bit at the rock show before the plot kicks off again. Mm. And that's probably a real band doing something. Because that one also it didn't get a title card. You know, it's no Yuji Nagata. But it did get, <laughs> they did get a bit of a linger on that. Oh, huh, maybe. I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it. No, we're overthinking about it. How many other secret things that they <gasps> slip in to get people to watch it? So what did you think of the murder mystery itself? Well, as I said before, it was pretty... You know, it starts off with any good murder mystery, you have to have a body. And so they give you a body. And then they give you a second body. Um, what? It, More than one body? Yeah. And almost immediately after they give you the second body, the second body is where the murder mystery part of it really kicks off. Because um, at the beginning, well, I guess technically they give you two bodies to start with, and then it's the third one where it really kicks off. Um, but the first two seem... You know, you're in the middle of a zombie breakout, zombie stuff happens, whatever. It's, I think, by the time you get... My, is it the third one? No, no, it's It's right after the second body that kicks off and the murder mystery really starts up. I can't remember if it was right after that one or right after the third one where one of the characters says something in just the right way that for me, I immediately went, oh, okay, now I know who the murderer is. You know, that that solved it for me. It wasn't... And thankfully, what I liked about it was that sometimes you get these whodunits and they'll kind of lay all these clues down so you're pretty sure you know who it is. And at the end, they have some big super twist involving a bunch of clues that they never bothered to show you. And I hate that so much because it's the movie essentially going like, oh, you thought you were so clever, but you were wrong the whole time because we didn't tell you things. I'm like, well, then what's the point? You're not being clever. You're just... Being like, haha, we didn't tell you things, so you couldn't solve a murder mystery. It's like, well, then don't make a murder mystery movie. So what you're saying is you hate murder mystery movies that are actually heists. Yes. Um, but in this case, they give you clues, and the clues lead to the murderer. And I think they gave too blatant of a clue too early on, which is why I'm saying that as a whodunit, it doesn't work that well, because the mystery for whodunit is already solved. But I still think it works pretty well as more of a drama thriller style. So that's pretty good. So speaking of, we actually talked about that particular scene after the movie, and that is not in the book. Yeah, you were telling me that. And they have this whole, a slightly different setup, which keeps the mystery, I think, longer. Oh, I guess that's one thing. Well, you were talking about after the thing you were saying that there was a, a quite a few more club members. Yeah. And the backstory was slightly different and one of the characters was slightly different so it kind of i think you know they, they had they had to change the story because i think a smaller cast works better mm. for movies i guess one part of the thing that kicks off the whole mystery and which is why our protagonists are kind of going along with this rock festival is the fact that the in the movie rock festival club get a a note that says who will be the next victim with like a knife in it yeah and then that kind of... Was that not in the book? That was in the book. Okay. Who wrote it was different. Fair enough. Um, but 
that sort of, I guess it's supposed to set up that there is somebody in the group who is going to do something and then... I was about to say hijinks happens, but actually zombies happen. Zombies can be hijinks. Zombies can be hijinks. <laughs> so zijinks happens? Or maybe zombies hijacked our murder mystery? That's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah. So... But it works out pretty well. I thought they did a really great job to ad- adapt it into a movie. And I think it's more likely that the movie is going to be released in the West than the book, sadly. Unless, hey, if anybody wants to publish the book in the West and needs it translated, I'd totally be happy to do that for you. For pay! Yay! Just so saying. subtle. Um, but no, I think to kind of go off on a slight tangent here, whenever you're adapting a book into a movie, I think it's a big job that editors have to undertake and that you have to be willing to cut a bunch of stuff. And cut them well. And cut them well. It's like, it's not just cutting it, it's then also reshaping what you have left to still make it flow and work. And, you know, I'm. if this was a Western book and a Western movie, I wouldn't be surprised if it got turned into three movies. Yeah. 100%. And you'd have to come up with stupid little cliffhangers here and there, and you'd have to drag it out, and it would be a pain in the ass because I'd keep... 20 extra characters that don't need to be there and then you have to figure out who everyone is and a lot of times just make it short and sweet yeah um i mean and sometimes like when you look at what they did with the hobbit i was thinking the hobbit yeah they dragged it out into too many (laughs) movies and then they added in more characters it's like the last thing you need to be doing is adding more characters in a book you've got more time in a book you can put in a you know, list of characters or dramatis personae list at the beginning or whatever. There's so many things you can do because people are going to spend more time with a book usually. Um, but with a movie, they, yeah, just feel free to chop stuff out. Just make sure that what's left isn't disjointed. Because it used to be a thing uh, when the Harry Potter movies were coming out. I hate the Harry Potter movies. But we'd go see them as a family and my mom, myself, and my brother had always read the books, but my dad never bothered to get around to it. Uh, And so when we'd come out of movies like that, because there was other ones too, but when we'd come out of movies like that, one of the questions would always be to my dad, what was the movie like for someone who hadn't read the books? Did it make sense? Did you care? Did they focus on the right parts? And it was always interesting seeing his response, because at the beginning of the series, they did a lot better job. By the end of the series, everything was getting padded out and just stuck in the wrong spot and like many of us he stopped caring yeah i think that's probably one of my issues was that it just felt like a poor adaptation from the books yeah but this one wasn't this one they went through and they, as you as we've discovered they cut a lot out but then they took what was left and they made sure that the story that was being told was still more or less the same story and it still flowed really well and I think that this is probably one of the best Japanese movies that I've seen in a while. Like, not animated movies, but Japanese live-action movies. Well, I mean, Harakiri was really good. Okay, yeah, that was amazing. Okay, brand new Japanese movies that probably didn't have much of a budget. Yeah, I can't think of much in this that would have required much of a budget. Apart from maybe the CG and the the house. It wasn't exactly high-quality CG. No. Oh, yeah. It's like one scene at the end where it has that very traditional Japanese, really janky CG, but it was kind of, at that point, didn't really care that much. No, it didn't truly distract from it no, that it much. No, it didn't. So. <laughs> it just made me chuckle. 
like ha oh, i recognize that style of of like painted scene on the background with somebody standing in front of a green screen type of yep cg yep good times but no it wouldn't surprise me at all to know that they didn't have much of a budget but what they did with it was incredible the movie i mean yeah i'm i when i walk out of a movie and i don't like it i'm more than able to nitpick this and that and also find all sorts of faults and i don't want to do that with this one because i enjoyed it and really that's something that like my mom and i used to say is it was an enjoyable movie you know i'm not saying like we used to differentiate between good movies and enjoyable movies because good movies are going to be the ones that go off and have are technically brilliant or beautifully uh, you know beautiful cinematography and all that stuff and they're the ones that go off and win awards and enjoyable movies are the ones that you walk out and you've just had a good time and sometimes the venn diagram overlaps and sometimes it doesn't but if you walk out of a theater especially when you're paying japanese theater prices and you've had a good time watching it that's really all i'm looking for and this movie hit that in spades great i'm really glad to hear that I really hope that um, Shijinsu no Satsujin comes out in the West. Really, really hope it does. If not, hey, we just recommended a movie that you probably won't be able to see. But I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, uh, if you can understand Japanese, go find the DVD when it comes out. Yay! Yay! No, I do highly recommend that. No, uh, yeah, I recommend it too. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Out of a Susume. Our recommendations from Ayotaku's Bouse. I was Jen. And I... Oh, I think you still are Jen. I was Jen. And I was Wes. <laughs> if you want to hear more from us, you can find us at Annie Bros Creative on Twitter, as well as AnnieBrosCreative.com. And we look forward to having you come back and listen to more of our stuff. Bye. Bye.